Welcome to the Five Phenomenon Podcast. I am your host, Shane Hazen, back with me again this week for the TV edition, Ted Haycraft. Yes, I'm here. Your energy level is just <laughs> blowing me away. Coming up, part two of our TV GOAT series, uh, The Singing Detective. Where did the, where did, where did the GOAT start being bandied about? Uh, I always heard it with uh, the argument of Michael Jordan versus LeBron James. Huh, is that new? That because the, the argument, you know, who's the greatest of all time, yeah. and in, in particularly in basketball, and then it translated over into Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady. It's, it's a sports thing. Oh, okay, okay. No, well, because well, actually, uh, sports are going to come up in my. What did you watch this week? What did you watch this week? I two uh, two films of uh, interesting uh, import. Um, Coogan's Bluff. Uh, a new release on Blu-ray of Clint Eastwood's 1968 film. Uh, that, is that Siegel? That's Don Siegel. It's his, uh, his first, yeah, his first collaboration with Siegel. Oh, the first. First, yes, and uh, it's, uh, it's 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 a it's an interesting film. It's a film I saw five thousand times in the drive when I was a kid, that driving in the neighborhood. Um, but I, I so I know the thing, film backwards and forwards and inside out. And there's a lot to talk about that film sometime. Then. Uh, there's actually two audio commentaries that I, I won't go into the. The one was the Alex Cox one. Yeah, and then but the one the other one, Alan Spencer from Sledgehammer Creator. Uh, you said it was pretty good too. Really, he was adding a lot of what I sampled of that. And then I got to the theater last night and saw uh, Nine Days. I saw Nine Days. I meant to talk about it last week. What'd you think? Uh, how did you see it? AMC. AMC. Yeah. Um. AMC yeah. Carasotas? Yeah. No, it's not Carasotas. It's I still call it Carasotas. I know, but that, they bought AMC bought it out. Right, right. It wasn't but... Carasotas chain originally. Right. Uh, no, I enjoyed it. I I was, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it is it is what it is. It's very uh, artsy. You know, Spike uh, Jones, executive producer. Yes. Uh, I enjoyed the music. I, there was I, I, The actors got to really chew the scenery. There's some really touching stuff in it. Yes. Um, the trick for me is like I have a problem with its premise. Where it, it brings a scarcity mindset to souls, so and it makes them, the the whole the premise is that these uh, five souls have to compete for a spot to become alive, and you're just like, why do they need to compete uh, the whole time? And like all the drama is based around this idea that it's sad that these uh, people will not become uh, the, these these souls will not get to live if they get, don't get picked, and you're just like, why? I no because I I, I I I was that way. Well, I was I just I quickly uh, figured out that they wanted to uh, uh, get get to the other part of the story as opposed to the back back of the premise the the foundation of what uh, exactly of that of the world whatever this thing we're watching. It's a, it's so, a it's a uniquely um, I mean the te- the. It, the the it's the main guy oversees these souls that he's allowed to become lives and he watches them through tv and vhs and he records their lives and their their memories and and he try it's trying to make him more efficiently to figure out and then and then this argument is like are you tough enough to be a, a live a life versus uh are you too sensitive to live a life yeah i just i didn't i had problems with that uh no i i didn't have a problem i mean i enjoy it i mean because uh, it's a well-made, really touching movie. Yeah, good music, good soundtrack, uh, cinematography, uh, and then the, the, I thought the last final scene was really strong. That the the I yeah the ending was good. Oh, and uh, besides those two movies, I wanted to say something about 
our last episode on the guilt thing, if I can. Okay, sure. You, uh, want, you want an addendum? Uh, an addendum here. This an, is, a, a yeah, mulligan? I, I actually wrote that on my notes. Addendum to the prisoner. Please, everybody, if you listen to, and I actually know somebody's already actually listened to it. Uh, One whole person? <laughs> and he's actually heard a little stories. All It's a friend of mine, so he's heard all that stuff for okay, the last 20 okay, years. Okay, okay, okay. But anyway... Uh, please, everybody, if you uh, did listen to the prisoner episode, I hope you did. I hope you go back because uh, that's my, that was my big pick of these uh, trilogy we're doing. Um, one thing that we've heard about Shane asked me about his career after the, sh- the prisoner. The one thing I just couldn't believe I spaced out on: uh, Escape from Alcatraz, 1979. Uh, Clint Eastwood's the the the, the, the plays Frank Morris, the one guy that got out of the escape Alcatraz with a couple other guys, but then we don't know whatever happened to him. We don't know if he died or they got away or whatever. But the warden, and it's a Don Siegel film. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's their last collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, the warden is played by Patrick McGowan, mm-hmm. and they never call him by name in the film. Any, in, the, in the film either, uh, so, he might be a number. So oh, number warden. Yeah. But anyway, so that was something I just couldn't believe I spaced out and didn't mention because that was just when that when that came out, I was like, oh my gosh, how perfect to cast this mean, tyrannical warden. Uh, be Magoon. Uh, the one thing he was always fighting in the, the village. So I thought that was beautiful. And then um, the kid, the Alex, Alexi, Alex, A L E X I S. How do you? Alexis? Alexis Canner, who played the kid in the Western episode, was number 48, the hippie, and the mm-hmm. last one. He directed and wrote a film with, uh, in, 70, in 81, and Magoon was a star for that. What was it? Kings and Desperate Men. So it was something that he worked on for a while, and then he, it was actually because of his, his friendship with Magoo. Is it any good? Yeah, it's it's okay. It's it's interesting. I think he actually, I was reading up a little bit out today, and it's just about he had actually sued uh, the people who wrote Die Hard because there's some there's a Christmas element in it, and there's a ransom and a kidnap or whatever, but he didn't win it. So isn't the book Die Hard's based on like from the before that movie? Probably. I don't know. I okay. I, I, I didn't remember. I saw that really uh, briefly. So. Um, and if you if you indulge me, please. Uh, um, this is this is turning into you. You had to ramp up because you're like I said, low energy at the front, but you're here now, Ted. Well, it's Magoon, and you know one of uh, Magoon can get you going. I want to say in, in 1959, he did a movie called Hell Drivers. This is pre stuff. Uh, he's uh, with the Con- Sean Connery and David McCallum, the Man from Uncle, James Bond, and Danger Man, all in the same uh, movie. Uh, he actually is connected to Disney. Did you know that? Uh, the, the Three Lives of Thomas Cena. That's a movie about a, do- a girl and a cat. And he's the father in that movie. Okay. I think um, I was going to think li- something with a cat. It's a live action film period during that. Or yeah, 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dr. Sin, I guess the Scarecrow, which is a fantastic stuff. I don't stuff. know about that. It's, a, it's a, based on these books where this is this kind of pirate character. Uh, Hammer did a film, but they had to change the name on it. But um, they did, uh, Disney did a, uh, he did it as three part. TV series, but also released in the theaters, and he plays this. Uh, it's a he's a priest. He's a vicar during Revolutionary War times on the English on the English coast, and he's helping the revolutionaries. Um, uh, real quick, I'm no, I'm I'm, I'm I, we gotta get to the topic today. Uh, you did, haven't even listened to anything I watched this week, too, but okay, sure, no, keep no, going. No, I did a movie with uh, Lee Van Cleef, uh, and uh, John Borman was a, originally a John Borman project. He still has a credit on it. Huh. Scanners with Cronenberg. We brought up Scanners. Did we? Okay. Another Touchstone film, Baby, Secret of the uh, Last Legends, the dinosaur movie. Did you ever see that? What is it? Baby, A Secret of the Lost Legend. No. Yeah, it was a um, 
one of those early touchstone films mm-hmm. that everybody was making a big deal. And um, The Phantom. He's in The Phantom? He's the father. He's, he's Billy. The Billy Zane he's the Phantom. Like, he comes as, a, as an apparition and talks to him, remember? No. Well, because there's not much I remember about The Phantom, but. And I have to, and of course, he has got a Leone connection. Uh, are you are you doing an IMDb listing right now? You always well, say you don't. You well, you asked me. You were asking me about him. I was kind of spacing out and drawing a blank. And, and it's not it's not a high profile career, but you know Mel Gibson film, Leone connection, a Cronenberg film. You know it's funny. Mel Gibson and TV is going to come up again this week too. But yeah. Um, so but anyway, that's anyway. But I just I just feel like Ted, you're not even interested in what I watched this week at all. No, no, I am interested, but I I just wanted to make sure that uh, okay. by the people. Okay. That that my my Magoon and prisoner uh, knowledge. Is, <laughs> if you happen to listen to the yeah. next episode after the prison episode, you will be for, yeah. assured Ted has. Sorry, you know, sorry everybody, but yeah, we'll go back and watch and listen to that too. And, uh, right, this I'm glad you're selling other episodes. I just appreciate that. Well, um, I had fun. I could talk about the prisoner, all, you know, all day. So. I didn't really watch much this week too, so actually, I shouldn't have fought <laughs> for it. But you've been reading a lot. Have you been reading a lot? Probably. No, I've been trying to catch up on these TV shows. Oh, okay. Yeah. But the one thing that was interesting: Did you uh, happen to watch the Field of Dreams game? Uh, in baseball, uh, which no. why I brought up sports earlier. I work at a TV station. I, I saw the it was story. Fox. No, yeah, I know, but I, I know the story. We the, it was making the news everywhere. Okay, you know, I saw the stories about it, but I didn't know. I only sure. watched like the middle innings of the game. I'm still, God help me, a Yankees fan. Donnie baseball represent, but um, but uh, it, the movie went up. Field of Dreams went up high on iTunes supposedly <laughs> the next few days, and Field of Dreams. I don't know if you know this about me, Ted. That's a big movie for me. How's that? Why is that a big movie for you? The movie makes me ball every fucking time. Well, yeah, I mean, and yeah. I my, it was one of those VHSs we had at home, so we watched it a lot, and I watch it every few years, and it's still with with just does not diminish. I just didn't know if you had some kind of personal uh, inroads. I always think I want to play uh, catch with my dad. Mm. Like that's a big thing with that. But it's funny because one of our past guests, Eric Gildy, he uh, runs a podcast called uh, Take Me Into the Ball Game, and they did an episode on Field of Dreams that they didn't like it, and. Their ep- their podcast is based on uh, it's with his wife, Ellen Adair, and they do baseball. Basically, like uh, how accurate is the baseball? And like one of the big things about that, sh- uh, was Joe Jackson was a lefty, and they they didn't get that right. So, I mean, to me, it's which seems like a big one. You know, my thing about it is it's one of Burt Lancaster's. Uh, last film if not his last film or it's real close well okay did you see any the you should go look up on youtube have you did you see anything from the game no i just saw costner out in the field talking to the players and that, that that's the thing the, the yeah. intro is the thing to check out because yeah. the game actually the game was it, it ended up with a uh a walk-off homer in the ninth but um which i didn't see i only watched the middle <laughs> but it opens it, it, it's such a bizarre Costner walks out of the field to a normal stadium that's small. It's a, it's this. It, they build it adjacent to the actual field, and I want to say the whole video is like five minutes. And for the first two minutes, no one says anything, and it's, <laughs> and it's just the Horner music. The James Horner music is what really. It, when J, the night James Horner died, I I just sat on YouTube crying, listened to all his music. Like he just he gets me and. They play the horn, and and this his score for this is in particular is, is like him at at that peak tearjerker, and they just play this music over Costner walking through the field, just kind of like half acting, looking kind of confused, 
And then after two minutes, then the players walk onto the field. Out of the cornfield. Yeah, out of the corn. Yeah, and it's funny because the White Sox were wearing a retro uniform and the Yankees wore, I guess that's their old uniform, but kind of not. They haven't really changed much in the years, but I think that might be record for our longest intro. <laughs> well, again, apologies, but I, I had to get that. No, that was that, that's on me. This is on, this is on me. For all well, I almost called you and told you to add stuff to the last episode. You know, put, yeah, you on. did, and I was just, yeah. I was just like, it's it's fine, Ted. And, you so. know, because I, I find it funny sometimes. We're just like, do we have enough for an episode? And without without fail, almost every episode's like, we I forgot something I wanted to say. Yeah. Now this one might be interesting because I'm not sure. How much you're going to say about this one? All right, well, let's get into it. The Singing Detective, Dennis Potter's The Singing Detective. So it's, what's funny is it, it's from 1986, but it didn't air, it air in here until like 88, I think. But, yeah, a few years later. But because Dennis Potter had a contract that said it couldn't be edited and this movie had nudity and cussing in it and violence the pbs wouldn't air it on masterpiece theater and it ended up airing on some t- uh, t- pbs stations but very hit or miss huh. that's ba- that's interesting I, be, knowing the way i know evansville since i've been here since i was five years old there's a good chance it didn't play here because oh i would i i didn't see until two the dvd box that came out in 2003 when did you first see it uh just when you said we we're going to do uh You never watched it before. It was my box that was still sealed. Uh, the, the original sticker price on it. Wow. Anyway. Had you seen the movie? The feature that's uh, made of no, this? No, I bought a used copy of the movie and never got around to watching it. I just knew... Well, it's interesting. You know, you said about, you know, greatest television. I, you know, I have... Uh, I saw Penny from Heaven, the Steve Martin movie, not the series. The Herbert Ross? Yeah, Herbert Ross film it's, uh, here in town. Bernadette Peters. Yeah, and uh, Jessica Harper, more importantly. All right. Um but uh, and, and Christopher Walken doing it. I still dancing. argue to this day that I think Christopher Walken's greatest performance is that one scene, and especially if you're looking for trivia of like uh, people who steal a movie with only one scene, his one scene in that movie is just amazing. Um, you gotta you gotta understand that I I had a couple of good friends and we'd all get together at this one friend's apartment and we would watch you know things. I would bring things and and or suggest things or. Uh, and, uh, the, it got to a point where, you know, one of my guys would say, uh, 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 you know who you are, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> he goes, you hate TV, you know, and it was kind of a joke, uh, line that they would always bring that up. Cause I, that said that, you know, I hate TV. Of course I'm working at a TV station, which is the irony. Right. And we're doing a podcast on TV shows too right now. But Series. I, but I, I do, I, I look back and I see there is a, distinctive drop off from television watching when I started getting older and, you know, car uh, automobiles in high school and activities and uh, different things that happened in my life that, the you know, that never lost the obsession over comics and films, but the TV took a back seat. So I have a very Achilles heel. Well, well part of the, th- the thesis of this series is, especially in the first two episodes is there isn't a lot to bring you back. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, that's a, that's that's an interesting. We could go off on a tangent on that, but uh, uh, my, I, my uh, one of my good friends, uh, uh, Jim Alexander. I know he won't be. Uh, he won't be listening. No, well, no, he won't be embarrassed to say that he he stuck with it. He stuck with TV, and he's a true blue uh, TV fan, and 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 was very dedicated to keeping up with what was happening on Saturday morning cartoons and all the uh, fantasy, all the genre material uh, that was coming out. 
and he would record it and have these, you know, a massive library of TV well, shows. Well, our final episode in this series is when we're going to finally get to peak TV, but um, this is pre-peak t- TV, and okay, so... But what, but, uh, let me, let me, let me uh, interrupt you and say that I wanted to say that I knew of it. I knew of Potter. I, I you did? Yeah, I did not, uh, just because just I Just because of Pennies from Heaven? Well, that, and plus, I, you know, just because I did not stay faithful to television watching i i still try to stay aware of what was what was getting critical attention and what was the thing to see and things to watch over the years so definitely the singing did detective you, was, did you see uh gorky park or uh with the his alice in wonderland movie it was a dreamscape dreamscape i don't I think, dream child dream child dream me. child I'm, I don't think I've seen it all the way through. I've, I've, I've bumped up against it several times and I even have a copy of it. I became a huge fan of Dennis Potter after yeah. this. And I, it was sad because going through this, I realized it's still just pennies from heaven in this. That's all I've seen. Really? Really? I, I haven't seen Gorky Park. Well, yeah, it's like, it's like a lot of these guys like Potter and um, he was another big uh, English. Uh, there's a, uh, all, the, all these people from Oxford or who graduated <laughs> from Oxford. Yeah. There's a bunch of them that I, I, I've, I've been meaning to, uh, to uh, check out and I, I'm, I'm way behind and, and, and it's an Achilles heel I have. Well, so, okay. The thesis behind this is being that TV wasn't good for a long time. We picked the prisoner just because I thought I had heard some people say that just put that as one of the best. Mainly I knew you loved it and I thought it'd be a good one for you to talk about just because you'd be behind it for years. I couldn't pinpoint who said it. But this, I read an essay. I think it might even been Alan Moore, who was mentioned a bunch in the last episode. Um, and the last episode is going to come up a few times just because it's the second time we had a British TV, British import as our greatest American TV show. But Alan Moore, it was an essay where he said he listed like what supposedly is everyone's kind of consensus top of the mediums, and he said Citizen Kane first, which I was like, okay, I can get that, even though Sight and Sound says that's no longer that anymore. So he said Citizen Kane, then he said Moby Dick for novels, and then he said The Singing Detective for TV shows. Yeah, and yeah. and I've since seen more people just kind of no one originated it, but more people. There's an essay on the DVD with David B. and Cooley, who's the TV critic for Fresh Air right now. I'm like, I forget where who he writes for. He says it too. He says, "Yeah, this is the greatest television show of all time." I mean, so so do you agree? Uh, I was blown away when I first saw it. How long? Now, when did you see it again? When it came out on DVD in 2003. And it was funny because, uh, I also rewatched the uh, singing detective feature. You still haven't seen it. You, you said you, you, you well, I remember it. I brought that up to you several, uh, I don't know, months ago, weeks ago. And you, Why? Care, and you, and you rolled your eyes and you're like, uh, I could like, don't worry. Don't, 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 you're not missing much or don't worry. I watched it today and yeah. it, it's tricky because, because well, I've never seen, all of the Pennies from Heaven miniseries. I've seen only maybe the first two episodes of it, and I love the movie to death. But uh, so the the, the Singing Detective movie is a little too stylized, I think. It's kind of a hat on hat, and also it's written or it's it was filmed and released like nine years after Potter died. So and it pretty much disappeared. It went. It never. It never. It's did. got an amazing cast too, which is sad. Right. Well, yeah. When you look at the cast and you just go, "What happened to this? What are this? What are you know?" It was. Uh, you were talking last week week about Mel Gibson being one of the people that wanted to do a Prisoner remake. Mel Gibson was is in the Singing Detective, and it was Icon his his production company that put it out. But um, this. I remember distinctly rewatching this series. How 
I just never, this is, I watched this right as peak TV was really, Sopranos is 99, and then uh, you start getting Six Feet Under, um, Buffy was a really big show at the time, West Wing was going strong, but I remember wanting, I had a real hunger for stuff I wanted to work on, write, and see. I wanted to see novelistic film, and this was, up until then, the most novelistic thing I'd seen. And now we have it in droves. Yes. What? Let's, can I back up a little bit? You said something like you were mentioning Buffy, which was a, that was a CW show, right? It, it moved around. It was WB yeah. and then in, uh, after its fifth season went to the CW. And, uh, and uh, where does Twin Peaks fall into this? I never watched Twin Peaks. I, I was, I've seen only the first you season. Have, oh. I've only seen the first season of Twin Peaks. I still haven't seen that second season uh, finale and I haven't, I have you right next to me is the box set for the third season, but okay, because you know some you know there's like these certain markers in TV history, right, right, and Twin Peaks is another one that I'm, I'm thinking. Of course, we all we, I think we all Twin Peaks we had all, the reputation for me of like as soon as they saw the murder, then supposedly it lost its energy. Everyone kept telling me that. Well, in other words, it could have been you know, and I, people don't like, and a lot of people up at the time didn't like the movie, although people appreciate it now. I think. Yeah, well, the movie's been rehabilitated somewhat. And then mm-hmm. the, the TV, you're, that's interesting because now, in this day and age, you know, if David had done it now, the first season might have just been one season and uh, on HBO or somewhere instead of being on network. And network, oh, give us another season. We want to make money. Well, we, we made so much money on the first season. Part blah, of the blah, blah, thing, money, I mean, money, money, money. You know? I mean, it's a consist, It's going to be a consistent theme that, like, I, I, I just, network TV is death to me. Like, network, the serialized network format is just doesn't seem like it's conducive to creative stuff. And it still barely is. Like, what, the, which serialized? On, on, net, on network TV. Yeah. Not on HBO or the HBO stuff streaming. Is, is streaming or... Network, uh, Netflix. Cable. Yeah, well, cable. Originally cable. And that, yeah, now streamers. Well, cable, you know, even though some cables have commercials, you know, uh, cable channels. I uh, think, I don't know if there, there was a policy they could rerun stuff a little easier as mm-hmm. why. Because, I mean, like, but so HBO could, in particular had a, a policy of re-airing their episodes. So you can watch serialized stuff easier. Did you, so you, you pretty much uh, agreed that Sopranos is like the ground zero uh, so for the most part. Of peak, uh, what do you call it? You were calling peak TV. I, I, th- I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think there's an argument if you're going to give HBO the credit for this, Oz predates this slightly. Oh, really? Does it, it does predate Sopranos? Yeah, yeah, it's like about a year or two. But hmm. um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's where TV started feeling like, I don't know, for lack of a better thing, uh, an entertaining well, art film. Well, yeah, where we're at now, as opposed to the just the little. We're in it now. Well, yeah. no. In fact, I feel like. Uh, we're starting to get out of it just because there's too much content and, and uh, every, so many shows are spinning their wheels. Like, and it's funny cause I always tell people like, man, I'm not watching anything right now. And then I'll list off a litany of shows I'm watching, <laughs> but back to singing detective, singing detective, six episodes. It's six episodes. The first episode is, I won't say dry, but it's also just like, it's a very, it's structured in a way where the whole, ep, the whole show is done like a detective story as done by a psychologist detective where um, it's a man who's got a psoriasis, it's a really bad skin disease, and he refuses to take a lot of the treatments for it, which causes him a lot of bad fevers. And so he's, and he's a writer who's written a detective novel that he's in his head rewriting the story for a screenplay. But because he won't take these treatments, he has these fever dreams where everything starting mixing like, re- like almost every character on the show 
It plays two or three different characters, and you're never sure what reality is, except for the main character, whose name is Philip Marlowe. And he complains without that he, the, without the e. Yeah, he complains that he wishes his parents named him Christopher. But <laughs> and you were going to say something, Ted? No, no, it's, uh, no. I, I was I was actually going to say you probably should for our listeners who tell synopsize. G- yeah, give them the premise here, and you're doing you're doing that's what you're doing. So and what it but. Dennis Potter has was a apparently very brilliant writer who wrote a lot of stuff, and this is his, his kind of peak achievement. But I, I don't know if the misogyny is a part of his name. Part of it's definitely in Pennies from Heaven, and you know it's just he's angry at women amongst other things else, and he's angry at his mother, he's angry at his wife, ex-wife, uh, he's angry just and and it's weird because. There's so much about basically when you have a main character who's a writer and the the movie the thing piece has a chief author, it's pretty easy to jump to. This is going to be autobiographical, even though Potter distinctly says he had this disease too. He had this psoriasis disease, but he still says like that's the only main autobiographical stuff. Even though um, he's from the same area, the series goes into his mother leaving his father and going to London for a period of time. The, the same thing happened to him, only unfortunately, instead of issues with his mother, his uncle sexually abused him. But something big happened to him when he was 10 years old, going to London from his home, his main area. There's a lot of autobiographical elements here and you know, stuff. And anyway, in the first episode, it's the tease. There's a shot about 10 minutes before the end of the first episode that hints at this, but it ends on a boy in a tree. And that's the first hint that we're going to start seeing the main character's real background. Cause up until that point, it's him redoing his detective novel and it's, and it's mixed in with the hospital and, and people burst into song and, and Dennis Potter has the particular musical style. He wrote, he's done a lot of musicals like pennies from heaven, but he does that particular style where people lip sync. Yeah. Which we need to describe, which we need to, point out that this is what Potter, one of Potter's trademarks, one of his tropes is, especially uh, songs from the 40s, primarily the 40s. One of the weird things watching the movie again today is it's 50s music in the movie, but but this and Pennies from Heaven is like 30s and yeah, 40s. Yeah, 40s and uh, the um, and then there, and uh, you'll be in a normal situation and all of a sudden everybody breaks out in song, but, but the thing is they're lip syncing the 78 RPM or, right. the, or the 33 and a third RP, uh, you know, uh, vinyl. I, I was really blown away and loving the, like it still fulfills the obligation of a musical where when someone needs to say something they can't say to a person normally, the mm-hmm. music then does that. I was wondering what that trope started, you know, as Potter's kind of known for that because of, if, because of his two main things, Beneath from Heaven and, and Singing Detective. You know, I was thinking, I was actually thinking about Andy Kaufman when he first showed up on the scene. The Mighty Mouse. He did the Mighty Mouse, and I'm thinking, you know, you know, where did that 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 kind of shtick started? I mean, I think I think Jerry Lewis actually did it originally before he got going with Dean. I think he would imitate. I think he lip sync records. I think. And then whenever I try to describe it to people, I'd want to use the phrase jukebox musical, but that's not what a jukebox musical is. No, no, yeah. So uh, and so, should I should I even since we're talking about the music, should I mention the? Uh, I think it's the first song. I think it's the first song. How crazy is it that's two episodes in a row? Dim bones. The bones. 
What is it with the British and dim bones? <laughs> the prisoner. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I encourage you to watch, listen to last episode. It's the, a series. It's okay. It's all one the, uh, the 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 main song that sing and they lip sync it. The, the kids lip syncs it in the Fallout the Prisoner episode mm-hmm. is a a version of Dim Bones. It's also known as uh, Dry Bones or Dim Dry Bones. There's uh, the guy has hmm. and it's it's it dates back to like the twenties. But it, the ref, uh, the recording the Prisoner uses it by the Four Lads, mm-hmm. and then the one in. Uh, the singing detective is a version from the forties. By uh, it actually, I actually wrote down. I I didn't write down too many notes ex- except of the on the songs except the first and last song of the whole series. So I was like, I was kind of like chuckling uh, about that because I know uh, I I really bludgeoned Shane with my love for the prisoner, and here we go, we got connections I can already uh, tied into. A, yeah. Um. So I need I, to... I have two other prisoner tie-ins. Too. We'll, we'll get to them. Um. <laughs> What did you what did you think of this, Ted? Um I enjoyed it. Uh I think your expectations were high because you heard because of the reputation that it had. Uh I like to see a better restoration of the thing. Uh, it's it's a, rough. It, it has that it's um, an old DVD. It has that pal uh even though it's shot on film, it has that pal thing that like you would see in Masterpiece Theater. And what's fa- you know, I was looking up, apparently originally Potter wanted it to be shot. Uh, on video sitcom style with the flashbacks in black and white. On- that and he also he was he was thinking, which is another. I'm I'm in the middle of watching another TV series from England that has Leo Mulkern in it from our pal from the Prisoner, uh, Rumpel Bailey, and the sequences outside are in film, and the sequences on the inside are video. Isn't that kind and, of a BBC? Yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. yeah I guess, I guess, well, that's what they. But I, 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 Monty Python's kind of. That it's way, been a long it? time since I've watched some a lot of BBC, and, and somebody go, "Yeah, that, that's what it used to be." Like, oh yeah, so I think Potter thought it was going to be like that, and the black and white, like you mentioned. Hmm. But then they talked him out of it, John. I think the director, John Emil. Uh, we need to talk about this because John Emil is um, kind of a studio guy in the '90s. Like his movies include Summersby, Entrapment, <laughs> and the big one was I think was his last big Hollywood thing was The Core. Do you remember that? Uh, oh uh, yeah, yeah. It was about them going, going to down the core, the earth, yeah. go, going to the core of the earth. Yes. Um, what's his name? Aaron uh, played Aaron Eckhart. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think early on though he was an interesting director. He was. He, really? went, he went back to TV after this. I was looking at his credits. His one of his last most recent ones is he actually did American Gods, doing you know American British hybrid with Neil Gaiman. But yeah, I, I he's an intro. But yeah, like you said, he kind of looks like he kind of started going the big studio route. But it's still a, a TV director. Like he's still like someone who's get, who services the the right writer here more than anything else. Oh yeah, yeah, no, true. No. It's fascinating just because um, the Singing Detective movies directed by. Keith Gordon. Yep. Yeah, Keith Gordon. Yeah. Who he came. He's come up on a few episodes. He's in. Uh, he's in all that jazz. He's. Uh, he came up on our Brian De Palma episodes, and it's funny because I haven't seen too many of his movies, but he's a very ambitious. He's taken on a lot of novelistic stuff. He did Mother Night of Kurt Vonnegut adaptation. Yep. yep. And again, it's just unfortunate because the movie just is like a grab bag of stylization and just all over the place, and it's just yet the um, TV show. Feels of a piece. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that too. I was. Reading, it feels like it was rewritten. A bunch I of read times. some articles. I did read a few articles uh, in the last couple of days, and that one person pointed out how you know a lot of these TV series, as great as they are and as good as they are, they have showrunners and they have different directors, and they have all these you know multiple hands 
know, which I'm always amazed if the unity of the feel of the show comes out as it does. And here you got one director on all six episodes, mm-hmm. and uh, so I think there's a one real, writer, one director. Yeah, there's one very uh, a clarity that you get in this. I, I you ask me how I felt about it. I'm thinking that I I um, I love the the I. I love the mixture of like, where are you at and where is, and who is this doppelganger and where is, is it, are we back in the mind or are we on a, uh, is he writing this or is he doing this or uh, blah, blah, blah. And of course, you know, now we see that all the time and those kind of tropes uh, here at 86. I'm thinking, what did we have back in 86? It would be very uh, specialized if you like, Oh, something would, uh, something would uh, be a metaphor or something would be what not what you wanted to be or whatever. I think it used to be. Uh, it wasn't thrown at you like this throws you at. What you? One of the things I did think is that people have started to do this in a more sharper way since then. But at the same time, this is what blew me away when I first saw, especially knowing that it was when I wa- first watched it. It was seventeen years old, and it's it. Potter's talked about like the like. It's a very specifically when. I found in my experience that doing nonlinear stuff, it's hard to plan out doing nonlinear stuff. It, you have to f- do, mostly feel, see if it works in editing. And he's a very writerly version of this. Like he writes down the jumping back and forth. And it's the, the, the hardest part about the show is it's really hard just because it's a fever dream. Like it's hard to grapple on with like, what am I following? Like the, there's, there's three levels. There's the hospital, there's the detective plot, and then there's his real life flashbacks. And the detective story changes like multiple times what it is and never resolves. Right. Now there's the, res- yeah, the resolution's interesting. Did you, uh, uh, did you think, um, oh, did you listen to any of the commentaries? Of the, I did it. I did. I meant to. I, I stuck it in, and it was, it was the producer and John, the director, talking. And they it was one of the interesting things about these different levels that you just pointed out. Mm-hmm. They said they kind of thought the music, the music scenes were like an elevator shaft, the elevator to one floor to another position. I, I get that theory, but and I don't I thought, know how that actually, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure if it held up exactly like that. Because, right. Uh, and I, in, in the feature, it really is all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's it's really rough in the in feature you know who one of the executive producers on this and who worked with dennis potter for many years rick mccallum the man who produced the star wars prequels for george it was george lucas's producer for years well you know i forgot to mention last uh in our last episode of the prison of david tomlinson a very intricate part of the right he was a, a ad for star wars second and, unit in ad so uh, for all the big guys i mean uh when uh, games uh one of spielberg's go to in, yeah, in england yeah exactly so we we over that was an oversight on our part not to mention him because he 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 is this isn't just the tv part <laughs> too it's the prisoner part too. <laughs> yeah or it just it's all blends in together you know well it is one series but yeah, he. I mean, yeah, because I mean, a lot of kids that would never get near a prisoner episode or the, the singing detective, but these guys. Uh, but there are people in that worked on these things and worked on their films. They love to death, you know. Uh-huh. So I I mentioned the. I don't know if Potter had the reputation for misogyny. I think one of his other series got he was had a reputation for it. But like one of the we, researching him was he married young, and stayed married his entire life and he's one of those couples who his wife died just a few like a week or a few weeks before he died he died he ended up dying of pancreatic cancer supposedly it might be from the drugs he was taking for his skin stuff 
Well, you you might want to watch. The, did you watch the the, the features on the? On I the, did. The I did watch that. Well. Yeah, because they talk about that. All the wife and the girl and the women and. Well, but the, it, it, I did I miss something or? I no, I think no, I think uh, I think you're because this whole thing is about anger towards women and him getting over anger. But didn't he have some affairs even though he stayed married the same? I mean, they didn't divorce. That sounds right because there's there there was also stuff in the behind the scenes where they were just like celebrating him for it was like he appreciates the female form and the female figure and isn't that just like like justifying someone for like commodifying his actresses yeah well we're gonna you know offset not obviously you know yeah we're gonna you know this within the society we live in now and the council uh canceling things out we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna Bump a bump a up at this bump But this was stuff. in the eighties. This is wasn't like some yeah, people. Know, but, hey, people no, redone it. But yeah, this stuff goes through the up to the nineties, man. I mean, it's uh, the uh, all these all these different things that go on now. Uh, the people got away with it all the time, you know. Yeah, if you can't take the heat, don't stay in the kitchen mentality. <laughs> Fuck that. Shit. Well, well, how about the point? Well, there's a sequence where um, he has a nurse is has to uh, put this cream on all his body. So she has to. That's know, isn't that the thing that starts out the first cue because she says uh, the it don't. There's a few. One of the nice things about the features when you watch it, you you pick up like on the, what's the key lines that they felt was essential. And the first big one is uh, whenever he's putting the cream on all of his skin, just because he looks like a Cronenberg, uh, like a fly. <laughs> they just fly in this. And the first thing she says is like, "I have to move your penis to uh, put, put apply the cream." And then she jumps into song from that. No, does she? I mean, that's the first song. I don't know if that's uh, Dim Bones, but yeah, no, Dim Bones was when the the, the uh, consultants come in with the doctors and looking over him. There's a, a, there, his, there's, there's a, a there's a music piece that plays. Yeah, he's off in that. his diaper. Uh, oh yeah, she's singing. I, I got you under my skin. I think. Mm. I think it's the song you're thinking of. So anyway, uh, she's beside, she's applying the cream to his inner thighs and stuff, and he is going to. Uh, he's trying to prevent a, an erection as much as he can. So he starts laying off all these things that he hates or are boring, and you know, and like, uh, or he, 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 you know, he doesn't want to think the, the, to keep him from thinking of sexual thoughts. And he brings in the Irish. He just says, "I, uh, I don't remember that part." And the, and the director and the producer on the commentary talk about how he was in a phobic. He, he didn't he didn't care much for Ireland, the Irish. Well, yeah. And, and so you get you know, and then they, I love the fact he also he brings the Bible in, but he starts quoting Song of Solomon. So. <laughs> well, because uh, one of the things he. he uh, his neighbor it one of the other big differences between the movie and um the miniseries is the differences between the two um the two medical systems and like so he has his own private room in the movie but he's in an open ward and his neighbor is this guy named ali he's like from pakistan that and then he's he starts on an immigration rant on there too which the first episode really stacks the deck about him being angry and bitchy and and then the whole series is about him trying to figure out his issues. And what's fascinating, I, I rewatched the last episode today. Like it's structured in an interesting way where it tries to like detective clues. Like they, they, the detective story being the whole basis for everything. You get clues. And like he talks in terms of like not, what's he say? Not resolutions, clues, but not resolutions. Mm-hmm. But then you keep finding out one detail that like they, you don't know why you've been seeing this over and over and over until finally it's dropped in a very innocuous way. One of the first big scenes in the last episode is just a very unadorned, basic back and forth. There's a psychologist character that's just yeah, I want to talk about him. Okay, but but they have it's a conversation with him, and he just unloads in the most 
common way, like the three big mysteries you've been finding, like stuff with the mother, <laughs> what is on the desk? <laughs> and uh, what else do they say? Um, oh, where Mark, the well, now the Mark Benny thing came earlier. Yeah. Again, all this stuff blends together. Oh yeah, no, it, oh, it's very. It, it's, yeah. it's hard to. It is yeah. hard to differentiate. And I didn't watch all of it. It's re- you. You've watched it more fresh than I have. So, um, what were you going to say about this? Well, first of all, I got to say because Mel Gibson plays a psychologist in the movie. Well, the psychologist in this one is a wonderful, wonderful guy named Bill Patterson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this guy, but I've always loved him. I discovered him in Comfort and Joy, Bill Forsythe's follow-up to Local Hero. Okay, and he's just wonderful in that. And then I was writing down some things. So he's in Munchausen, and he's in the, the Return of the Musketeers. So he's in a Gilliam film and a Lester film. I didn't know he was in Munchausen. Uh, yeah, I don't remember him. Yeah, then he's does in, he have that beard? That really thick, nice beard. I don't think he's gonna. What is his character? In he's Munchausen? got a great beard. Yeah, uh, he's in. Did you did you watch Good Omens? I've watched. Apparently, he's in that. I have not seen that. I don't know if I've seen the pilot of that or not. But you know, the one thing you probably I can't believe you haven't. Oh, you know, I see that light bulb go off in your eyes. What? Fleabag. Is he the dad in Fleabag? He's the dad. I was wow. so I was so happy to see that. That's one series I have seen, folks. That, that I was, <laughs> and I I go, oh, it's Bill Patterson, and uh, he's been around forever. Wow. But he's uh, he's very beloved in the UK. He's a, you know he's he's in a, you see his IMBD, It's just tons of stuff. He and uh, so th- that's my other prisoner tie-in, uh, the one-on-ones. That's you know that we got these segments in the the series of six episodes. We go to a room where it's just the two of them, mm-hmm. and it makes me think of all the the the, the showdowns that, especially the, well, the second to last episode with Magoon and Leo McKern, just the two of them locked into a room, uh-huh. or some of the other duels with the number twos he has. So that I just I mean I know it's very tenuous. I mean, well, it, that's it, not what's funny is there is also. It, it it feels like a writerly prop to have a psychologist here, even though like because it, it, it's it's physical therapy and that's a writerly TV thing of like we need to get a character well, one of the articles, on on the screen and let's ha- let's have him talk to a psychologist. But I thought was interesting. The one of the article says it's a good it's a good uh, pro psychologist type. Uh, oh no no it yeah, is it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely because the thing is like the everyone they keep acknowledging like oh your physical ailment you need to get your your mental uh, health straight straight before. Well did you, did you figure it when it, when they started doing the the one on one here with him and Bill Patterson I'm thinking oh here we go it's gonna be you know this guy's gonna be a you know a, a real jerk and it's they're gonna be they're gonna be antagonistic and it starts out that kind of and way and then it's gonna gradually thaw yeah. which i mean no no, no no i didn't think it was gonna thaw i thought it was just i don't think i don't think he was gonna give in because of his character the way he established his character it's I like it's like in between episodes he thaws yeah he, so, he, he, it's gradual but every episode he's nice yeah and so it uh, he actually has a ends up with a pretty good relationship with him and i thought well that's kind of eventually nice. by the end yeah oh yeah and oh, I, yeah. I, I i kind of like that i thought I just thought with the, the pedigree of the series, th- that those two would never come to a, a same place together. That's why. So. Uh, and Mel Gibson in the movie did a thing where he shaved his middle of his head, so he has like he looks like bald in mm-hmm. it when he still had a pretty healthy head of hair, I, I assume. And so you knew that was probably the meaty role, but it's kind of like the Goodwill Hunting Robin Williams mm-hmm. versus the. Although the, this man's not a young, man, angry man. He's just although he acts like a young, angry man.
I thought you were going to say Allison Stedman. Allison Stedman's in a bunch of Mike Lee movies. Oh, stuff. well, I mean, yeah, if you want me to mention, I, this is what the fun thing I had watching this was uh, going back to 1986 to see all these people showing up that I know from different ways now. First of all, there's, uh, you know, we got Michael Gabon. Put, should we talk about him? Michael you know? Gammon is. Gammon, Gabon, yeah. I, a Gam- Gammon, a Gammon. A Gammon. That was actually probably the biggest sell of the series. There was a period, if you asked me who my favorite actor was, it was Michael Gammon just from the basis of this. Because I thought he was so fucking good in this. Wow. It's a very short period. It's a very like, I, I've had trouble with my whole life picking favorite actors. Well, what's so. hilarious is that I, look, I know he really does not come thoroughly on my radar to the Harry Potter sins. And well, up until this point, his big things are he has the, your little um, he has a little role in um, the Insider, but he's also in Gosford Park. Gosford Park's well, talk of his IMDb. Yeah, I, I wrote down the highlights. I said, "Oh, well, I saw him on all these mm-hmm. uh, Dry White Season." Uh, that's a Marlon Brando film. Okay, uh, I, I go oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I can't remember him in that. Mary Riley, he's in that. I think I knew um, that. Uh, the Insider, like you said, C.P. Hollow. I remember he, is, he does not have a good accent in, in The Insider, unfortunately. He play, yeah. he has a Kentucky accent that yeah. does not. Um, uh, C.P. Hollow, yeah. And, and Godfrey Spark, Godfrey Spark, and uh, Open Range. Oh, uh, I, I think I did know he's in Open Range. So, you know. Uh, but he takes over for Dumbledore, oh, Richard and, Harris. Yeah, and, yeah, and Sky Captain the World Tomorrow. I don't remember him in that. Yeah, he's in that. But I just, you know, I it was like, he's to me, he's like, uh, Richard Harris passed away. He's the guy who took over Harris. And now everybody loves him and no, and nobody remembers Richard Harris. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bunch of big actors that started from uh, Hotter Stuff. So um, like, Started or? Started. No, Bob, Bob Hoskins' well, first big breakout is his is the Pennies from Heaven miniseries. Oh, um, oh, you, oh you, I thought you said Potter. Uh, you, Dennis yeah. Potter. Oh, the, yeah, not uh, the Harry not Potter. Harry. <laughs> but also, uh, one of uh, Potter's last series is called Lipstick on Your Collar, which is one of you McGregor's first things. So yeah, so you know, because so, so you got to come on, and then uh, Joanne Whe- Whe- uh, Whaley is the the, the, the the wonderful looking nurse. Of course, she goes on right shortly after that. I saw her in Willow. And but her big thing is scandal, you know, on that poster art. Uh, Wait, is she was she married to Val Kilmer? Yes. Okay, uh, I, I watched Val, the Val hyphen, Kilmer documentary, and she's in that. Yeah, she's a hyphen. She had a her name was hyphen Kilmer for. Her. I don't know if she still retains that. She's been showing the day they divorced. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. yeah. So um, then you got like I said, Bill Patterson. Uh, Mel, of course, the great Amanda Stanton. That Stanton. one was kind of blew my mind because I had no clue who she was, and then when I started recognizing her, I was like, "Wait, is that? Do you, do you know? Who, do you know who her husband is? Who? Jim Carter." Jim Carter, the father in this movie. Huh. They're happily married. They're still they're still married. They met in 80 uh 83. Married to her. they've been married together since 83. Mm-hmm. And he, Jim Carter is a guy that you guys out there you we I, I said here he, you know his face. You see him in every in tons of English This stuff. keeps coming up. I feel like there's just generational acting. So I've been thinking about this lately where like it's hard for me when I'm watching older films to pay attention to actors as much as I do when I was younger and and they felt like my same age. Is that is that a fair? Is that say that again? I rem- the you. I grew up in eighties, nineties movies. I remember so many more actors from that. And every time I mention one of them, you're kind of you kind of like, who's that? Or you, I, I get that vibe from you sometimes. Really? I, and it's usually like younger actors, and maybe like some TV that overlap. Well, I'm probably just reacting that that you're so uh, taken by them. I'm not, I would think I know right them. because it, it that is one of the burdens of being a child of the eighties, where it's just like I grew up on some pretty terrible movies. The Brat Pack. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, not. I'm just talking eighty movies. Yeah. But you know, so Amanda, Amanda, of course, Vera Drake. You know, that's mm-hmm, her right. her go to bro. But she's in Sense and Sensibility and Shakespeare and Love, which her husband Jim Carter's in Shakespeare and Love too. Remember, and, and also Harry Potter. Yeah. Oh yeah, Harry Potter. 
And then, well, I want to say something about Harry Potter. And one, one, you want to say something about Harry Potter? <laughs> and then I, I, I got I got a take on Harry Potter. And then early on, and like you said, Alice, uh, Alice and Stedman, tons of Michael Lay films. The interesting thing is Janet Seussman. Uh, she never got a career going in film, but she was she's a Nicholas Alexandra. She's a she's the Alexandra Nicholas Alexandra, a big Franklin Shafter film from uh, nineteen seventy one. I don't know one of the big epic films. Maybe uh, is that one of those I'd recognize by poster, but never saw. I don't even know if I recognize the poster. In fact, it's so weird. Uh, that's the film that I found out that Brian Cox is in it playing Trotsky, and I'm like, what? <laughs> when I came to, I watched it not too long ago. Um, it was one of those big bloated epics that didn't do well, mm. and it was the death, the, de- the, the the things that caused Kubrick not to be able to make Nate yeah, Napoleon. Those same kind of things happening. But she never. She's a great. She's a revered stage actress, and never got going. Uh, so that so it's like yeah, that's that's half the fun I had with you, Detective. It's just seeing these people in different stages in their career that I had not discovered. The thing I want to see about Harry Potter, though, is uh, it's a who's who. It's like the greatest hits of all the British actors of the goat uh, that that, that right. in there. And that's just, I, I just wanted to mention that. I think the only person that I think missing in there is like Tim Roth. I don't think he did one. But I think everybody, I think everybody, uh, a young David Thewlis is in Singing Detective. Yeah, another Dave, Michael- Dave Duels has got it makes a, and it's weird because he only has like one line, even because yeah. like, and they 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 stage it so he was sitting next to, uh, I think it's Allison Stedman, and mm-hmm. and you're just like, oh, Dave Duels is going to have a line, and he doesn't. Yeah, of course you know he's another Michael Lee veteran, naked. I never, you know, that's- is it Michael or Mike Lee? No one. Ever oh, Mike Lee. Him, yeah, yeah. Everyone that, calls him probably, Mike Lee. Yeah, I, right. I thought we did an episode on Mike Lee too. Oh, you did? Huh? I guess I didn't listen to it yet. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm a huge Mark Lee fan. I just I just got the uh, criterion of um, if the hosts aren't listening to all the episode, <laughs> what's the hopes for? Uh... Well, I know I'm kind of the I'm the sporadic co-host. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think one of the interesting things about the show, in theory, is that part of the reason it feels so novelistic is because it feels so long. And but at the same time, it's not it's not really long. It's not it's not that long. But no. you you think that like they'd be able to compress it, but the feature. Again, I don't think it works nearly as strong. There are so many layers that going. You're 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 shuffled through all these different layers back and forth, and like you said, no, and for the most part, there uh, there's no resolution. Even though, I think I kind of think it cops out a little bit with the kind of like walking out together, you know. What is? How's it cop out? The, the the him walking out with his girlfriend at the end of the, down the hallway. Mm-hmm. I, that's like, really? After all this, I was a little. I don't think I was disappointed in the end when I first saw it. I was surprised that it ends up being a psychological healing story. Yeah. Yeah. That it was so, I I thought it'd be much more uh, vague and more of a downer or more, you know, just a a head scratcher. I I think I was just surprised that spoiler, the, the spoiler alert we've had for this whole show, uh, the skin disease gradually gets better. Yeah, yeah. And you just thought that was natural. I assumed it was going to get worse or it was going to lead to some kind of more tragic, sadder ending. Yeah, that's why I remember going, talking about his his uh, one-on-one duels with Bill Patterson. I thought that was going to get... You know, Do, get can we say what the reveal about his mother is? Sure, I think we should. I mean, well... It's crazy how pedestrian it's revealed to the point where, like... I, I, I well, I'm, you saw watching it. the second time. I was like, "Did I? Do, why, am I just missing something?" And then they say, it and you're like, "Oh, of course, she committed suicide." Yeah, and the, she committed suicide by jumping in the river. And you see these recurring shots over and over and over of the detective story takes place. Then find a body in a river. Yeah, different women, but different women. Women in the bo- in the river. So it's it, the basis of his one of his big novels. Yeah, so I mean, I kind of 
it, it didn't shock me or didn't surprise me because I just kept on seeing it, kept on going back to this vis, this visual. So well, it's got, not revealed in a shocking way. No, no. Um, so and then I, I, I was at this point throwing my other my third prisoner tie in. Okay. <laughs> bring we're not, it up. Bring we're it. We're talking, bring about, it. we're talking about endings. Mm-hmm. So we have this big shootout uh-huh. in the hospital. Okay. And so we have a big shootout and fallout. You know, in a, in a, in a, and you don't expect a really big giant shootout in the prisoner, and you don't really expect a big shootout in the hospital room. Uh huh. So there you go. I just I thought as that's my other. Well, I thought you were going to go with the other big mu- uh, piece of music that I wrote down is the final one. They actually had Vera Lynn do uh, a version of Vera Lynn's uh, singing. We'll meet again, yeah. which well, I think a Kubrick, I think a strange. Love. Yeah, it's obviously, but it's, I don't know if there's been more usages than um, those two, but it feels like. I've seen it used and it's it's weird how such a, a song is now about wanton self-destruction or about uh, the inability to change because we'll meet again plays over the end of the when they're it's there's a montage fo- either following after they walk out of the hospital or right before I think it's right yeah um, it's like the it's like a ballad of delusional self-destruction and on a trivia side note it's just so bizarre that within this day and age of Facebook, Vera Lynn just passed away like about a year ago or so. I, I don't think I, 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 I made I made a little uh, nod to her on my Facebook page. Uh-huh. I was like, "Wow, you know." What uh, was your nod? Based I think off this song, possibly. It, it was probably the uh, Kubrick, you know, because uh, it sounded like it was a different, slightly different recording. Oh, it's, it's a different, it's a different song or different recording, definitely. Yeah, because, but it's, it, but it is her. Yeah. Oh it no, is. no, I I saw I was I was looking at the credits of yeah, musician. Uh, it's a it's totally different recording. Yeah. So, but. Oh, by the way, the, the shootout. The, yeah, did you think, did you think that was kind of cute? There's two dete- there's two uh, criminal elements running around, kind of little buddy buddy guys in trench coats, and they're upset because <laughs> they never get they're they're never given names, uh-huh. and they're upset at uh, at, at Marlowe. Like you know, where's our names? You didn't, uh, you didn't even bother to give us names. One of my one of my things I, I love about this show more than anything else is how the writing happens on screen. You see a lot of early like Charlie Kaufman stuff here, like Potter's doing, and like people keep talking in in, in their sense with ja- a dash question mark. And of course, yeah. Oh, I the prisoner talking. I just thought of too, uh, a schizoid man when you know he has to face he has to face his double dupe. And what happens in the in the shootout and seeing a detective? This is what happens when you stop watching TV. After a while, you have only a few references that you can use. <laughs> okay. No, but oh yeah. Well, I mean, facing your doppelgangers. That's a what, that, is, that, that a goes back to the silent days. I'm I'm sure you know. Yeah. I I had a lot of notes on this, but I think I'm winding down. Are you? Where? Uh, no. I mean, I'm fine. But it, I'm curious. Is Look at your look at your notes. I'm kind of curious to see if there's any other high point in your notes. High that, point that you haven't discussed. You brought up. I the ends of it. The it is structured in a weird the, the cliffhangers. The, every episode does have a cliffhanger, and it's usually done in a very oblique psychological thing, like the tree from the beginning, or there's a recurring thing with the mother where before you find out the suicide. Uh, he's you keep seeing her yell over a shot of a train of a, of a, a, a underground underground tube and they take I think it's the second the penultimate episode reveals that he runs away or he runs away to go back to live with his dad and then it's where she decides to kill herself I guess you know if we're wrapping up here I guess, or, or the, the 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 little boy the little the saddest parts is the little boy uh, figuring out what happened on the desk in the in the schoolyard or in the with the teacher, yeah. Oh, the teacher. We, you know, we didn't talk about her. Whew. What? What a what a character. 
uh, what an actress. I mean, I, in fact, I thought it was a guy sometimes in a, a drag. Uh-huh. Uh, but she, boy, she is a piece Convincing. of uh, the character is a piece of work and kind of fear. I the most scariest character in the whole series for me. Um, she start you know, um, very stern, but she starts out really kind of like getting them all riled up about if we're going to win the war because he's going to school during World War II. I remember the scene where uh, she's t- t- teaching kids about a leaf. And then she hits a kid because he doesn't know one of the two colors she said like 30 seconds earlier. Yeah. But I was going to say just basically if we're winding down here is that why would you go back and watch a 1986 series? I think you'll be pleasantly surprised and enjoy it because it takes you, I think on a, uh, a really nice roller coaster ride of emotions and you can see, uh, you feel, you you're feel, recommending it. Yeah, I know. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I mean, I, I will watch this again. In fact, I hope they, like I said, I hope they remaster it and give us a nice, it would be nice. They remastered it. Um, but, um, uh, the use of music and, uh, uh you got some great actors in here, the, the cream, of the crop of the UK, some of them in their early stages of their career. And, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's, I think it's a G-O-A-T. I think it's up there. Okay. Uh, don't you think so? You, or you don't put it up that high now that you've revisited I it? I had it. I mean, I, because of the fever dream aspect to it, like it was, it wasn't the most like enjoyable, easy, easy to get through watch. Cause like, it really is. You don't have any character to like, there's some, some of the hospital stuff here pretty clear. I think this is really happening, but everything else you're just like a character just completely changed their identity from scene to scene. I, well, I think that's kind of the beauty of it. I think. I, I oh, it's definitely the beauty uh, yeah, of I mean, it. And it kind of that's I, you. You don't have an anchor. That's for sure. You're you're, you're you don't get to perch yourself uh, solid when you're watching this. Right. And that my hesitancy comes that means that it was still kind of difficult sometimes to watch. So maybe that's why they wanted to kind of have uh, a resol- sort of a resolution at the end. And of course, the, you know the beauty of the prisoner. I think it, you know you, it's cyclical. It's like no, there's not a resolution technically. Uh, sort of, there is on the surface, but it's not. This one, maybe it's just the opposite or something. I don't know, but it's. Uh, uh, I think it's yeah. I think it's uh, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame of all time television series. Yeah, I just I wish we I had a better like you, you, when with film when you have the goat you have uh, the sight and sound pole that's done every ten years. So you well can, you, you can use can a refer- out- you can use as a reference point. I mean I don't know. Do you you think that's the be all end all? We I think I've done this rant on here before. How angry I am that Vertigo is now. I don't even like Vertigo. I'm not a big Vertigo fan. Like Vertigo's not. I, I'd argue Vertigo is not even one of my five favorite. It's barely my top five of Hitchcock movies in the fifties. I'm surprised at that. I would think you would be a Vertigo person. I have a lot. Vertigo's of- problem is that it puts the uh, subtext of all Hitchcock movies as the text. Right. Well, I think that's most of my friends don't like it. Uh, or don't consider it's got it. an odd it's got this it feels like two different movies uh i don't understand the second half i don't understand exactly why uh, besides unless you d- go into obsession why it has uh, what the motor is behind. i think it's just i think it's just it's actually, a great movie i'm not saying that i'm just saying it's not the greatest movie i think it's i think i think it's because it's so personal and it's so subtextual that that's why it doesn't entertain. But it's not subtextual. Well, I mean, well, I mean, I mean, well, I mean, I mean, how like interesting said, do you find one man's obsession with blondes? Well, <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I don't think I've got, I've never, I don't think I've, I'm, to me, Vertigo is a work in progress with me. You change your opinion. I, I need to keep on watching it and, and, and thinking about it. And analyzing well, this, it. This, 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 whereas, you know, rear windows just, 
love North by Northwest is a you know a perfect film. Psycho is what it is. All these other Hitchcock films are they they just the you don't have to work much at all. Vertical, right. you got to work with it. To bring it back to Singing Detective, <laughs> I think that uh, men, powerful men writing, well, actually, maybe I shouldn't even put powerful in front of it, men writing about women and their sexual obsession. I, this is something when I was younger, I found more interesting than I do now. And I, when I first saw this, I thought it was revealing. Now it's, there's something to it, but it's just like, there's something weird about something that feels autobiographical where, where your main character just keeps calling everyone a bitch. Well, I mean, I, I don't, I guess I don't have that problem like you do. <laughs> I, I really have an answer to that. No, no, no. I mean, it, I mean well, it, it's going to be, I think it's, the, I, I think prism, it, the prism of 2021, it, it, things are going to be so different to watch these things sometimes now. That's fine. That's how, how something ages. Is yeah. It's something doesn't, if it, if, that's how it, art ages. Right. But it could be age. It could age. I get, there's the argument that you have to give it its original context. And mm. then there's the argument of like, you're in, you enjoy what you enjoy and you stories that there's stories that survive and stories that don't. And you, you think that maybe this doesn't survive? No. Cause it, and it's funny because I, I went on this rant and I'm still in the middle of my recommendation kind of, I just, I just mm. had to, I made this observation. It's this, I think this is a very rich, really complex show. And at the time, even in 2003, when this DVD came out, there wasn't a lot of that out there. There wasn't the feeling of novelistic film. And going back to my point, I said right at the beginning, I think we have a lot of that now. Yeah, I, I so that I guess that we have an embarrassment of riches. Yes, this thing exactly. that this thing that kind of maybe was for the longest time the a template for that. It's it, there's sharper stuff out now than that. Maybe oh that's, well, yeah, but that's mm. which actually we're gonna next week's gonna be my pick. So well, these these this was your pick too. This, this is my pick too. Even yeah. though I I. I had my odd methodology of like, this is just something I'd heard people said was the greatest show of all time. And I loved it when I first saw it. And I still like it a lot. I mean, cause you know, it's really, that's trick to my TV, my top 10 TV shows are kind of tricky. But, uh, or I mean, or, you know, or someone just because tyranny and nostalgic and the tyranny and nostalgia, my, my trademark. You Batman. also have the thing where you refuse to have the internet at the house. So you have to go through your blue. I don't refuse to have it. I'm just at this point, I, I've not bothered with it. <laughs> so you have to wait till a Blu-ray set comes out, even with streamer stuff. Right. With TV, yeah. I just, like I said, what well, it was a few episodes. I think I said this on one of our episodes, but I, uh, I watched the Nick finally because I had, I think said, the Nick's going to come up next week too. I've been coming up with a DVD. Uh, I've had the DVD uh, box sets of it. I, I'm sitting on the Soprano box sets. I'm sitting on the six feet under. I got, uh, at first, I was buying them up, you uh -huh. know, originally. But then it got then now you can't keep up with them. You know, there's just like five, you know, five million of them out there. Um, now, Sopranos and Six Feet Under ended a long time ago. I know, so. no, but I mean, as as the years progressed, I couldn't. I had to stop buying box sets because I can. I can. I think the end point I want to make is that this goat series isn't necessarily our goats, although they're <laughs> both our goats are going to be on this. But it's also, I think, specifically for this one, it's what other people have considered goats at a certain point. Yeah, and I, my my top ten, a lot of it's just favorites, personal favorites that I can't say that's great television, but it just like like an example would be the Wonder Years. I just love that. You show. do love the Wonder Years. Are you yeah. are you going to watch that remake? Uh, what is it? Oh, no. Yeah, I heard about that. Uh. I guess what my issue thing because it's, I mentioned this earlier, we have two, 
or two episodes have been British airport or British imports. This one's a mini series. They both have endings, so that works for us. Um, and they're both relatively cinematic for their time. Yeah. But, but I I don't know exactly. We just picked three shows to talk about random three shows, but I don't know how how you pick the greatest show of all time. Like, because from around this time, there's another cinematic show that is not an American show that has stood the test of time. I'm talking about Kieslowski's The Decalogue, which I know you love. You bring that up, boy. Yeah, that's 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 a mountain. There, there's a that's a holy grail of a. (laughs) I mean, we're opening the can of. Oh. Uh, uh, not American show. The, 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 the I, I, my, my, I don't know how the sharp my thinking is on why we chose. I just chose three stuff, mm-hmm. and, and like you, I picked your favorite show. I picked my favorite show, and I picked something in between that no, no one talks about the singing detective anymore. That's another issue. That's yeah, that's true. That's good. No, yeah. and maybe it's because it's not streaming, but no one brings it up anymore. Maybe that's the reason why it's, I'm glad we're doing. We were talking about this. And speaking of, of this, bringing up so uh, you know the Decalogue. What is, what the unique thing about the Decalogue is. That that uh, it it got uh, a famous director to write something about. Oh, Kubrick. Yeah, I mean, he, he, it's so like he's one, Kubrick was notorious for never writing forewords, and he's like, and in his foreword today, he's like, I'm making an exception. He made an, he, but he did a forward for the. Uh, it's very short. Uh, the, yeah, for the screen, the collection of screenplays, mm-hmm. uh, total plays, in the book mm-hmm. of Decalogue. So that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a nice pedigree to have a blurb, right. but a Kubrick blurb for your book. Yeah, and, um, um, and we on our Eyes Wide Shut episode, uh, we mentioned my love for that book, Eyes Wide Open, with written by Frederick Raphael, and he makes Frederick Raphael watch the Decalogue. Well, you know, the Decalogue too is like it's like uh, he really hit a weird, interesting peak that translates into the films that follow that. You know, uh, or the expansions it, of the Decalogue, yeah, even yeah, the two films that he made, yeah, you know, out of that. Um, so yeah, but, uh, yeah, TV, TVs, you know, you know, like where do, where do sitcoms come into play, you know, on, and go, uh, yeah. and, uh, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. Uh, cause, to, cause the problem is also that being in the idiot box, it's so easy and being a really cool medium that, um, it's, it, it makes people passive. So people want comfort food in the background. So it's easy for people to say like, just something that I want I, I I don't appreciate. I just have on in the background is is good, versus something that is good. Yeah. I mean, that's always been the problem with TV forever until pe- like they started realizing like, wait a minute, there's an actual. It, for one, if you make it more of a writer's medium and you don't fixate on like just selling shit, like there it, it it's it, TV's kicking movies ass right now. Well, it's uh, been kicking movies ass for a while, even if it's like I think peak TV starting to wane. And the sitcom types of, I mean, we're, you know, we, we're starting to get things like Seinfeld to curb your enthusiasm, which is a different, uh, is this not leave it to Beaver, you know? Uh, well, okay, when you said the sitcom, my brain went to cheers. Oh, well, yeah. I, and then, you know, things that I haven't talked, we haven't even talked about other, I mean, there's way that we're, we're going off on a whole TV tangent here. We maybe just uh, do a giant. It's almost as if this episode's about TV. Yeah. Outer Limits is one of my favorites. Not uh, Twilight Zone, Outer Limits. Well, that's, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, people are going to kill me if they, if I reveal myself here, but I didn't grow up with Twilight Zone. They wasn't playing in Evansville when I was a kid or I, or my dad never had it on. Mm-hmm. And so I, we saw Out of Limits, and that did a number on me. So I have a very, I'm very biased in uh, Out of Limits. 
and I've only gotten to Twilight Zone and, and 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 just little tidbits here and there as an adult. Well, you know, what, what when I was trying to find out where who wrote the essay that mentioned Singing Detective as the best TV show of all time, one of the things I looked at that I thought might be in Peter David has an essay in Harlan Ellison's uh, uh, published version of his script version of the city on the edge of forever the mm. star trek thing i thought he mentioned it in there and i was reading ellison talking about writing in the 60s and outer limits and you know he's bragging he's like i'm 30 and i have a wga award by now <laughs> or well, however many he had at that point um another I used the show. star trek should have been one of uh, well it's your classic star trek i mean that's 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 high in my you know pantheon of tv shows that i love uh but uh there's some tv movies i mean i i still say to this day one of the best TV movies, and it's the network, and it was the most watched when it aired, is the Night Stalker, the first Night Stalker. It's mm. just wonderful, and I think it still holds up, believe it or not. Uh, it's a series that kind of, you know, everybody has a very. There's a lot of people out there very fond of the series, but especially X Files fans. Yeah, and but uh, uh, the first two TV movies before the TV series kicked in, I just love those, and I think, and I think the first one is solid, solid piece of work. I think there's a lot of people uh, in, in my more Skyler points. I would have argued. I, I maybe at one point said my favorite Spielberg movie is Duel. Well, yeah, and then and then there's all kinds of forgotten series like another one. Uh, the, how about the Night and Days of Molly Dodd with Blair Brown? Is that, is that even on your radar at all? No. Yeah, and that's a nice little cool show that needs to be. And uh, Joel uh, uh, David Strathairn. Huh. Sorry, guys, David Strathairn. Oh. I'm one of his biggest fans, and I can't even get his first name right. I, I think you dropping off of TV and me not, it's, there's only so much you can watch. So it, making a pantheon is kind of hard, I think, yeah. is the, the ultimate point. But we're not going to stop, and we're going to keep trying to next week where we get to my favorite. My Next week's my favorite. Yeah, this will be interesting because I, 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 I watched it back, I don't know, was it a year ago that I watched it or six? I thought you watched ago? it really quickly. We, we, I did go. I'm still trying to not say it, too. Yeah. So oh, really? We're, we're okay. being coy. So. But we're, we're doing a good job at it, not saying. Yeah. <laughs> so tune back in next I week. Can't the, I, can't even, can't, I can't even remember the title of it, actually. So. You're kidding. No, I'm thinking of a different word for it for some reason. So... <laughs> I think now <laughs> is the time to check out. Uh, yes. This is time to wind down. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Ted, thanks for doing this. Be seeing you. Be seeing you.